Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Summit Church Podcast. We want to connect you to a relationship with God and all that He has in store for you. We hope this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live out your best days now. Enjoy the message. We have been talking about in our series that character, spiritual character, is built through four life commitments. Number one, we said in the first week, a commitment to people. So we talked about why you need a church home, a church family to belong to. God sets the solitary in families. Second, you need to commit yourself to some habits to grow. And we talked about four of those habits that bring great strength and resolve to your life. It's not what you do once in a while. It's what you do all the time. And these habits are daily routines that build a great life. Third, we're going to talk today about this third commitment on growing in character, which is a purpose to live for. It's kind of that nagging question everybody asks, what am I on earth for? Why am I here? The Bible makes it clear that even before you were born, there was a purpose and a plan for your life. God told the guy Jeremiah when he was a kid, hey, before you were born, before you were conceived in the womb, I knew you. I called you by name. I ordained you to be. God has ordained everybody in this room to be, to have a purpose. For Jeremiah, it was being a prophet to the nations. All that was pre-hardwired into him before he came out. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So I don't know what home you came from, what situation you came from. I've preached for years. You don't get your identity from from your natural parents, although sometimes that's very good, but often it isn't good. You get your self-worth and identity from from the Heavenly Father. You, You came from the Father through mom and dad. He just needed them to pick up your DNA. That's all. He wanted the DNA to make you uniquely you. So we're all different, and God said, I had a plan for you before you ever got here. Now, my job is to find it, to discover what that plan is, and then live it to the fullest. So you can either get in on that plan, or you can reject it. You can get outside of it. God won't force his plan on anybody. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance before you became a Christian for us to do. So God created all of us to do good works. Those good works are your ministry or your service. See, ministry doesn't refer exclusively to a preacher. It's whatever God has designed you to do. We're to serve God no matter what our career may be, and we're to serve or help other people. In Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talents. You remember a guy got five, another guy got two, another guy got one. Let me give you seven life principles from Matthew 25. First, ownership. Ownership. Everything I have belongs to God. You say, well, I got my name on the title. Well, you won't take it with you. You just wait and see. Psalms 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's, not Satan's. It's the Lord's and the fullness of it and all they who dwell in it. Remember, God never lost the world. Adam did. And Jesus, the last Adam, got it back. 
Now that means, hey, let's do a little ruling and reigning, folks. God has not given the world to Satan. He can only have what you give him, but he has no legal right to it. So we just get to use whatever God's given us for 70, 80, 90 years. Then we pass it on to somebody else. Think of life and your, your gifts and talents. Think about them as rental property. You don't bring anything into the world and you're not taking anything out. You just get to use it for a little while on planet Earth. So God has entrusted all of us with property like the story of this servant, Jesus tells. Verse 14 in Matthew 25, Jesus said again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants in and entrusted his property to them. He's letting them know, hey, your intelligence, your abilities, I gave those to you. They're part of mine. And I'm going to give, make you give me an account on how you use them. Secondly, allocation. Another principle, allocation. God's allocated to you, to me, some talents. Time, talent, treasure. We all got something. And that's the principle of allocation. So one man is entrusted with five talents, another's entrusted with two, and another guy gets one talent. Now that talent referred to money. So one guy receives 5,000, another guy 2,000, another guy got 1,000. We're all given different amounts. By the way, we're all different. None of us have it all. Everybody has something. Some got a little more than others, but God determined who got what. In verse 15, it says to one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. See, we all have different talents. Everybody's got something, but no one has everything. We need each other. The point is, there are no non-talented people. See, so a talent is anything God has entrusted you with. Ability, strength, skill, physical health, family, children, intelligence, opportunities, business situation, personality, even the fact you were born in a free country. It, Frank Sinatra used to sing a song, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And I've always said, if you can't make it in America, you suck. <laughs> I've got 10 million miles all over planet Earth, friends and churches and business all over creation. And I'm telling you, with all of our problems, they're nothing compared to the rest of the world. We live in the greatest place possible for you to achieve, achieve something. And I'm not going to let you sit around, suck your thumb, and be, and be nothing. God has good plans for you. And I want to shake that lethargy off of you so you can rise larger than you arrived. And that was the whole point. I don't have to die where I'm born. I can move. I can move mentally, emotionally, even physically. But I can move. I, I, I decided I didn't want to be like my parents, divorced five times, so I moved. I didn't want to live small like some of the Christians I grew up with. I moved. I moved in my thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you raise a bunch of pygmies, guess what? You're going to think like them. But you get around some giants, you're going to elevate your thinking a little bit. Everything is transferable, catchable. So Romans 12, verse 6, Paul writes, We have each been given different gifts according to the grace given to us. I didn't earn it. 
didn't ask for it. It was given to us on arrival on planet Earth. So there's nothing for you to brag about. You're fortunate. I didn't get to choose my mom and dad. I didn't get to choose how high I would be in height. I didn't get to choose eye color. I didn't get to choose my DNA. And you didn't either. Or a lot of us would have made different choices. But we got what we got and we're here. And my evaluation to God will be, okay, Sparky, use it. Use it. Let me see what you can do with it. Number three, the third principle in Matthew 25 is accountability. God expects me to use my gifts and talents. See, he's made an investment in your life and mine, and he wants a return on it. He wants me to make the most out of what I've been given. Look, I, I'm around great people in business, a few celebrities, a few in sports, and in the ministry. And I sit back, and I'm not any different than anybody else. Well, I wish I could do that. Wish I could be like that. Wish I had that skill or that ability or could talk like that. Okay, now what did that get me? Nothing. Absolutely advancing my life, nonsense. Didn't do anything for me. What I have to say is I've got a part necessary for the whole. Whether it's big or small, I've got a part. And without that part playing, something's missing. So I like five players for A&M missing. Couldn't keep curfew. Yeah, oh, you think the team's happy with that? I don't think so. I know the coach is not happy with that. And God's not happy that when we're A-W-O-L from what he's given us. So he expects us to be, to be that accountable. Verse 19 says, after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts. So the reality is that one day, all of us will give an account to God. See, one day he's going to do an audit on your life and mine. You think the IRS is tough. That's one audit you're not going to be able to miss. God's going to ask you, me and you, what did you do with what I gave you? See, don't be sucking your thumb thinking what worked when you were in church. It's going to work for God. It ain't going to, it's not going to carry. You need to be prepared to answer that. And listen, the older you get, the more I think about it. I think about the sands of the hourglass are running out, and it, how's God going to evaluate my life? Not perfect, of course not. No one is but Jesus. But the point is, did I use well what I've been given? We've got some fine men on our board and others that would certainly be qualified to be there that have outstanding gifts. I don't have. But together, we make a good team. And together, we can move forward and handle and be good stewards of what we have. But I can't do it by myself. Neither can you. We need each other. That's important. But I've got a part to play. All I'm responsible for is using well what I've been given. How hard is that? Use well. Some people have influence. Some people have power. Some people have money. Some people have prestige. Some people even have the gift to make money. We used to have a guy like that, and then he got off buying million-dollar cars in Italy, shipping them back, and just got lost in money. And I said, that's not what you were made rich for. Yeah, you're going to have a great life, of course. Nothing wrong with that. But God expected you as a believer to be involved in the kingdom and look at the good you could have done with the millions you made a month and wasted it and then ended up in a lawsuit with a corrupt partner and lost it all. God did not intend that to happen. But he got distracted. 
So don't let your gifts or talent or celebrity or notoriety, don't let that distract you. And if you don't have any of that, don't let that distract you from using what you got. Greet people, handshake, smile, registering people for chosen out there, helping escort our beautiful ladies into the building with with honor and prestige. That's serving. That's ministry. It's using your life to do something. At least do something. Number four, utilization. Utilization. See, that means it's wrong for me to bury what God gave me. The first guy takes his five talents. (coughs) He invests it, doubles it. 100% return. The second guy takes his two talents. He doubles them also. He made a wise investment and doubled it. And by the way, God didn't tell him how to invest it. He won't tell you how to use what you've been given. He lets you decide. He lets you be creative. He lets you be responsible. He didn't say whether or not you buy Apple stock or you invest in Tesla or whatever. He said, you choose. Puts the responsibility right on your shoulders. The third guy takes his talent. He doesn't do anything with it. He buries it in the ground. He decides to play it cautious and conservative. I'll just sit on my talent, take no risk, whatever, and play it safe. Oh, yeah? Well, look in verse 26. It says, his master replied, you wicked, lazy, unprofitable servant. You don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I'd say the master is upset and ticked, wouldn't you? God is saying, if you don't use your talent, you upset me. I'm disappointed in you. So when we bury something, we put it out of sight. We don't want to see it anymore. We don't want to use it. Now, we didn't lose it, but we didn't use it. See, when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, two guys got that. Faithfulness is not maintaining. Faithfulness is increasing. The guys that were called faithful doubled what God gave them. Only they were called faithful. I think sometimes in church, because we didn't get drunk, because we didn't have an affair, because we didn't uh, do and didn't and didn't and didn't, that God's really pleased. God says, for crying out loud, I want you to increase what I've given you. Now you're faithful, maintaining. You didn't do anything. You got the God of heaven with nothing is impossible, who has all power, all might, all majesty, who says nothing is impossible to those who believe, and you're going to sit on your little little bit of talent, whatever God gave you, or ability or resources, whatever it may be. See? So you try to ignore it and forget it, and God says, you wicked, unprofitable, lazy servant. You can't please God by playing it safe in life. I'm sorry, you can't. God wants me to use what he's given me. And sometimes we step out, get out of the boat, get on the water. It's a bit scary. We came here to start this church. It was scary. Two kids, a great job, great home, great low-interest mortgage, great intercoastal waterway. <clears throat> I, did, I think I'll go back. <laughs> I'm just a human being just like you. And I thought, God, you're killing me. Come on. Don't do this. But he did it, okay? And, and I think maybe if nothing else, I'm just an example that there's hope for you, okay? So don't, don't, don't put yourself down. And I'm, I'm simply saying, if it doesn't scare you a little bit, you're probably wasting your life. There's got to be just a little bit of anxiety there. Some of you don't pray at all. And I thought, if you took a risk, you'd pray. You'd pray in English, tongue, Spanish, German, <laughs> smoke signal, sign language. You'll... Oh, God, if you don't come through, I'm dead. Help me. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. 
You, you, God wants you to keep growing. Your age, well, I'm on AARP. That, Moses was 80. Ricky's almost 80. <laughs> and that's no excuse. Sorry, there's no finish line to growth. Yeah, yeah, but I'm divorced single. Nowhere in Bible does it say you're excused from growing. Everybody is expected to grow till you take your last breath. Everybody. So keep pushing that life up. Keep pushing that life. You say, well, I failed. Okay, get back up. Though the righteous man fall eight times, seven times, the Lord will pick him up. Get back up. You don't drown falling in the water. You drown because you stay there. Get up. Okay. I'm having a good time. All right, thank you. you. To use what God has given me and to invest it means I've got to take some risks. And God, not foolish, of course, but it's a risk. Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? You're never going to know sitting safe in, in your little floaties in the shallow pool. So it requires faith to take a risk, doesn't it? Yeah. And the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And he says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the principle of utilization says it's wrong for me to bury my talent, to sit on it. He wants me to invest it, and that implies risk and faith. Doing nothing with what God's given me is inexcusable. God would rather have me try to serve him and fail than to do nothing and succeed. So I'd rather attempt to do something great, fail at it, than to try to do nothing and succeed. And I've told this church many times in our new members class in the old days that I'd like Cindy to be at least able to put four words on my tombstone, at least he tried. Now, it's easy to sit back and judge people when you're not doing it. When you don't take the risk, when they tried or got in trouble or failed, it's easy to be the sideline judge. But the only person I want to talk to is the person who also is out of the boat, daring to do something that scares them to death, that if God doesn't come through, they're sunk. That person can talk to me. But you'd do this or you'd do that. Well, I think they'll do it. What are you doing? You just become nothing but a, a sideline critic. No, get in the game. So at least he tried. See, at the very least, I'll die trying. So let me ask you, which person in life is most likely to do nothing? The five-talent person, the two-talent, or the one-talent person? Well, there's no doubt about it, the one-talent person most often. And why? Because that person will say, because I'm not a superstar, because I'm not gifted, because I don't have many resources, because I, I don't have a full education, I won't do anything. And some people say, well, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing perfectly. I hate that. Instead, say, if ministry is worth doing, whatever God's called you to do, it's worth doing the best you can. Perfection is not on the agenda. You can't even achieve that, but you can improve, and you can do the best you can do. And if you say, if I can't do it perfectly, I won't do it at all, that's a good cover never to do anything, never to do anything. You need to step out in faith. And the reason most people lose their spark in life is because they're sitting on the sidelines watching. They're playing it safe. They're in the baby pool. I was a lifeguard with their floaties on. No risk. They're merely spectators while the game is being played. Well, God says that kind of thinking and behavior is not going to cut it with him in his kingdom. And number five, motivation. Another principle from Matthew 25. Why do you do what you do? 
why do we play it safe? Why don't we use our gifts, our talent, and resources God's given us? Usually, the answer is fear. Either I won't have enough if I do, or I'm not good enough, I might fail. What will people think? Verse 26, the servant with one talent said, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Notice those words, afraid and hid. Satan's favorite tactic is getting us to say to ourselves, I could never do that. I'm not qualified. I don't have enough. I couldn't afford that. My little won't make any difference. I'm afraid I might fail. Anybody ever in school, high school, college, teacher might ask a question and ask the class, anybody got the answer to it? And you thought, well, I think I know what the answer is, but I ain't going to raise my hand because I could be wrong and I don't want to look dumb. So you don't even try. When I was in college a long, long time ago, and I did graduate, I, I was in a class and the teacher was doing that in, in, the, in uh, Clemson University. I was an industrial engineer. And I just shot my hand up and blurted out the answer, just bold. And the teacher nodded approval and went on with two other questions. And then he came back and said, Mr. Godwin, that, that's not the right answer. You, you said that so boldly, I just passed it over. That's not the right answer. <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> I tried. It's, it's fear that keeps us from using our talent. Some people say, well, I failed in the past. Well, join the club. So I'll never try again. I, I, I had a bad marriage. I'll never get married again. Uh, I had somebody do me wrong song, so I will never trust anybody again. You can name it. Nonsense. No, you learn from that, and you move on with life. Don't give up life. Go into a fetal position. Suck on maylocks and feel sorry for yourself and be a victim the rest of your life. No. Let, make it count. Learn from it. It's called experience. That's good. Peter and Judas, two of the disciples of Jesus, both committed the same sin. They both denied Jesus. One of them went out, got depressed, committed suicide. The other one went out, repented of it, and said, I want to start over. And 50 days after Peter's biggest failure and sin, God used him to preach on the day of Pentecost. And over 3,000 people accepted Christ. See, by the way, God says, my gifts and my callings are irrevocable. And sometimes people make mistakes. Maybe t 10, 5 years, 10 years in the past, they made a mistake, a tragic mistake. People knew about it. And then later, some people want to penalize them for it, forgetting about the fact we all have something we would not like or be proud of to share with people, right, from the past. But God says, what I determined for you has not changed. And no board can change that. Nobody's vote can change that. No social media hater can change that. I will have the last word. And God always does. Fifty days after Peter's greatest failure, he has the greatest success he's ever had. He kept going. In 1954, some of you weren't even born, okay? In 1954, opening day of baseball season, the Milwaukee Braves are playing the Cincinnati Reds, for you baseball fans. Two rookies started their career in that game. The first one was a guy named Jim Greengrass. He got up to bat four times in the game and hit four doubles. Wow, four for four at bat. 
an incredible start to his career. But nobody remembers Jim Greengrass. Another guy started his career that day, and he went 0 for 4. He struck out all four times at bat. Hank Aaron had a slow start, but who do we remember? Never let the fear of striking out keep you from taking a swing. Take another shot. Take another swing. And don't worry about what other people think. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. And we often excuse ourselves by saying, if only I had ability like him or her. Uh, if only I had his or her education or his or her looks or his or her resources, then I'd serve God. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't because you're not using what you got. See, the point is just because I can't do something spectacular doesn't excuse me to do nothing. One day God's going to ask you, what did you do with your life? What on earth did you think you were there for? I had a plan. I had a purpose for you. I had some things for you to do or be involved in, and I made you as a perfect fit for that purpose. If, it, if, if you're dying and you got ulcers and you just hate yourself and you hate life, you're not doing what God made you to do. And some people can do it and do it good, but they're not fulfilled because they're not doing what God wired you to do. See, it, it just comes natural when you're doing what God made you to do. People, some of you ladies are great decorators. You don't have to read a book, watch four podcasts. It, it, I don't know. I think that goes over there. That looks better sitting right there. Other people can say, well, you really got the wrong hairstyle for that face and contour. It's just a gift. I, did I say something bad? I don't think I did. I, I, have, I have some folks over here with the spirit of criticism. Okay, so it's... <laughs> They think it's a spiritual gift, but it's not. And I don't even know what I was saying. Where did I go? I, uh, well, it's a gift. Yeah, what I'm saying is it isn't going to give you a hernia. It isn't going to give you a rupture. It isn't going to put you in depression in some institution. Not when you, you might get tired, well, go to bed. But you're going to love doing what you do, and you're going to be good at it. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. But that's not true when you're doing what was expected by mom or dad or what the, your crowd thinks you should do or what you should be. No, it's like a tailor-made dress or suit. Fits you perfect, and you ought to wear that. And so you, you got to like what you do. I, I, I really mean that, I, sincerely, because God said, I made you exactly for your purpose. If you look at a stealth fighter, it's weird-looking, and a weird shape because it deflects radar. It wasn't built for many other purposes, but it was built not to be seen. If you flew the Concorde back when it did fly, I flew it twice, twice the speed of sound. It is skinny. It is really narrow. You can't get on there with roller bags and all this other stuff. It's tiny, but it's made to go uh, 1,450 miles an hour, twice the speed of sound at 60,000 feet. And you couldn't do that with a fat airplane. I'm trying to say you're built just right. You're gifted just right for your purpose. Don't try to be what somebody else is. They've, they've got their own purpose to fulfill. You just do well what you're doing. Everybody's not made to be supersonic. God's got to have people everywhere. Verse 24, the man who had received the one talent came. 
He said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered. So I was afraid. So he's trying to excuse himself for doing nothing by blaming the master. It's your fault because you didn't give me 10 talents. And God says, you didn't use the one I gave you, dude. Blaming God won't work. Blaming other people won't work. It's up to you. Most of us are who we are, where we are, what we are because of the choices we make. Most, most. There are some people put into a bad situation. I'm aware of that. But after that, I'm still responsible for the decisions I make. Maybe you had a terrible home. Well, the moment I leave, I'm responsible for my life. Right? So, so where did we get this idea? It's the government's fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's this guy's fault. It's my boss's fault. No, it's your fault. You could quit. You could do something else. You don't have to tolerate a bad life. Why don't you do something dear? I'm afraid. Yeah, here we go. Now we get to the root of it. You can't blame anybody else. Okay. Number six, application. Here's that principle, application. If I don't use it, I'll lose it. Verse 28, Jesus said, take the talent from this guy with one and give it to the guy with 10 talents. So what's the point? The point is God has the right to take away anything I don't use for him. If I don't use it, I'll most likely lose it. If I refuse to exercise, I lose muscle. If I refuse to think, my brain goes dull. If I refuse to practice, my talent or my gift dries up. But the opposite is also true. If I use it, I get more. Whatever you need more of, start using what you have now for the Lord. It'll grow. Some need more time. Then use some of your time for the Lord. This weekend would be a good start to help us with chosen. Need more energy. Use some of your energy for the Lord and his kingdom. Watch it grow. Need more resources. Use a portion of your resources that you have to sow into the kingdom. It's a principle. Use it or lose it. The seventh principle is compensation. If I use my talent wise, I get a reward. Verse 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll now put you in charge of many things. Come and enter the joy of your master and his happiness. So look at some of the rewards you could have. Number one, affirmation. Well done. Good and faithful servant. How would you like God to say when you arrived in heaven? Max, good job. You did the best you could with what you had. I didn't put much in your suitcase, but boy, you sure used well what I did. That's enough for me. A WD, well done. You did what I made you to do, Ricky. Somebody else could have done better, but you did the best you could with what I gave you. That, that'll hold me. That's fine. Second, promotion. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. I'll give you greater responsibility. So how you use what God's given you in your life for his purpose during this time on earth will determine what God entrusts to you in eternity. If you've been faithful in a few things, he says, I'll give you much. Now, everybody wants more, but they don't want to part with what they've got. They don't want to use it. They don't want to give it. They don't want to do anything with it. Third, celebration. Come and share your master's happiness. It's party time in heaven celebrate. The fact is the happiest people in the world are those who are living their lives for the purpose God made them for. So let me ask you, one day God's going to ask you, what'd you do with what I gave you? What are you going to say? Well, I made a lot of money. Well, I bought a lot of property. I had lots of fun. I had much pleasure. I had a great reputation. Well, God's going to say, so what? 
That's not what I ask you. See, the answer God's going to look for is, did it ever occur to you that I gave you your talent, your freedom, your intelligence, your resources, your ability, your skill for something larger than just you? That maybe I made you for a purpose greater than just retirement. That maybe I wanted you to bless other people. I shudder to think about what some people are going to have to use as an excuse to explain why they did nothing in the Lord's kingdom. George Gallup did a national survey in America several years ago, and he asked 40 questions to discover the spiritual commitment level in America. He compared the lifestyles of spiritually committed people with uncommitted people. And after the survey, he classified 19 million people out of nearly 300 million as spiritually committed. And he published the results of the spiritual committed lifestyle. A couple of thoughts. Number one, they were far more happier and more satisfied with their lot in life than anybody else. Number two, the divorce rate much lower. Families stronger than the population in general. Third, they tend to be more tolerant of people of different race and religions than people less spiritually committed. And four, they were far more involved in service activities and put a high priority on improving society. These are good benefits, see? And most people would like to have them, but they look in all the wrong places. It clearly comes through giving your life in service to God's kingdom. So what's your level of commitment? The fact is, regardless of your level of commitment at Summit, I love you. We accept you. But the goal of our church is to help you grow in your commitment so that one day when you stand before God, you can give him the right answers. So I want to help people who come twice a year, Christmas and Easter, to start coming every week then to get attendees into membership. And finally, those in membership move from spectator to participator. Get in the game. All hands on deck. Whether it's this church or some other church, you need to find the right one for you and say, this is going to be my family and I'm going to be committed to it. And if you haven't committed your life to Christ, that's the first step. Open your life to Jesus today. Tell him, Lord Jesus, I want to be in your plan and fulfill your purpose that you made me for. And if you've done that, then find a church family and commit to it, either here or somewhere else. And once you've found a church family, get committed to the disciplines we've talked about for spiritual growth. So here's my final challenge to everybody today. What's the next level of commitment you need to make? What's the next step God wants you to take. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.